near-death experiences change, you know, the need, the need for profound change. Uh, I was, I was equate moments like that to a before and after, and like anything after that, that's usually the, the after party or you know, the origin story for people sometimes. When you, when you get close to death, you know, something happens to you. Uh, you let go of alcohol. You know, a lot of people leave, usually. They leave the party when, once you get rid of the booze. Uh, do you seek healing, or is it something that is just part of a process that you just go through as far as not drinking anymore? Part of the process. I've never actively seeked help or healing. It was all just get through it. Cold turkey Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. Cold turkey shit. Yeah. Funny enough, you were in the snow, so that's a, that's a good. <laughs> Which is something I, I've, I've, I have a lot of people warning me against. Don't advise cold turkey yet. It's horrible. It's dangerous. Uh, with alcohol, alcohol is one of the only drugs that will kill you if you leave it. Like you have to take some supplements and stuff like that. Your heart is pretty. Yeah. I don't know how bad you were with the alcohol. I was pretty, pretty bad. That goes away. People start leaving your uh, your vicinity. What's what's next for you after that? It's hard to describe, but I wanted to do as many exper- experiences that. I've been putting off. Um, so like, what are you putting off? What are you putting off that you that uh... just small events, small outings? I've always put off because of being anxious, agoraphobic. Yeah. So going out, going out, like um, w- 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 soberly. An, ex- an example of yeah. So yeah. for people that don't know this about alcohol, you can go. You're, you could be agoraphobic and drink a shit ton, and now you can go out. But That's what really but, helped me. <laughs> but you're not really present because yeah. you're drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, being present is, I don't know if people can understand, a lot, a lot of people can understand this. Um, if you're really anxious about going out or there's an anxiety around that and you drink, it's almost like going into the backseat of your own mind. And you're like comfortable with it because you're kind of like it's it's almost tantamount to autopilot. You're mm-hmm. drunk and out there, but now you don't have that crutch to hide behind, so you're in the front seat. Yeah. Uh, what are some of these small outings that you're avoiding? I'd go to the zoo. I'd go hiking. Um, just just going to the zoo was something you avoided because you had a severe agoraphobia, and if you would yeah. go there, you would probably. I. My agoraphobia was so bad that I would go out and I would pass out. I had multiple times I would faint in public. Um, what, what What was the <laughs> scary? That's scary. Uh, you would faint because of overstimulation? Overstimulation, crowds of people, um, loudness, yeah. So you're, you stop drinking and you start to confronting some of these avoidant issues that you've had in the past. Mm-hmm. You're... You're you're still almost capable of fainting, you know, even if you yeah. stop drinking. So what's changing for you? Just, you know, I think it was mainly the fear of doing it. Um, you know, like I developed agoraphobia because of my anxiousness and 
the fainting in public and everything. I was anxious about that. Um, and then, like, I would go out because it got better and with the drinking and everything. And then when I stopped drinking, you know, it was it could still be there, but I was like, I need to do it. I, I just need to get over it. It, it. It's a fear. It's not actuality. Um, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's, it's one of those cases where uh, Carl Jung would say, you know, go and look at the void, but don't blink. Absolutely, yeah. So you were there yeah. looking at the void, not blinking, just, not, not looking away. Yeah, it's just, culture shock. I need to get it over with so I can be comfortable with it. You're uh, going through this um, basically self-healing aspect. Uh, your mom's work and all of that starts becoming more and more present in your life, I imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, like, when do you decide that this is what you're going to do? Um, my mom started her course, her class, Boot Camp for Bounty Hunters. Um, so, so, your, so your mom, after how she's been at it for a while at this point, yeah. decides to set up a, uh, a course for people that wanted to go along her same Yeah, so it, it's a memorial course. So the Eastern agent that my mom worked with, you know, the schedules colliding and everything, he had a course on the East Side that was doing very well. And my mom considered him like a mentor. And they were partners for Washington State. He unexpectedly passed away, and my mom took over the course in his honor. So he was basically educating people around the same subject matter, and now your mom is taking over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I started, it was both in his honor and to help my mom get established. Yeah, so you, you're, uh, your mom is setting up training now on her end. Mm -hmm. Uh, a curriculum, a curriculum is probably being formed or was already there, but she's basically modifying it for her now. Mm -hmm. yes. And what's your role in that? What, what, how are you helping her out with this? Yeah. Um, I started her social medias. I built her website. Um, I make her boot camp flyers, all of her promotional posts. I helped her write her book. Um, and then I also went out and I became a certified instructor so I could help her teach. Yeah. And that's kind of, I would say that was more of a turning point of, wow, I could really do this myself. So you became her wingman in a lot of ways yeah, after that I experience. Was, I was her mini partner. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I can do what she does. Yeah. Um, yeah. <coughs> You're trying to figure out how to help your mother as she transfers from being a an active agent to forming people, instructing people. Mm -hmm. uh, you say, I need to certify myself and start doing some of these activities myself. What's your first night on, what's your first night like? Like going out there and actually doing this. Do you remember that first night? I do. Um, it was an individual who had overdosed with his mom in a garage. And we had to... Trans we were going to transport him to jail, but he ended up overdosing in our car. And we had to go straight to the emergency room where he was induced. Um, so you, you walk into him basically doing what? What was what, 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 the drug of choice there? They had shot up heroin. So that both you go, your first call, your first gig 
You're trying to pull him back in as a, you recover him. Mm-hmm. You walk in there, and it's him and his mother doing heroin. Yep, in the garage, and they stuffed the needles in the couch. Is seat. this is this the first time you see something like that in your life, or is this, is this something you've? It's the first time I've seen an active overdose. What's going through your mind? It was with you. It was me and my mom. You you and your mom are there. You walk in there. For her, it's a a Thursday. Yeah. For you, it's your first day. Yeah. So what had actually happened, it it was a revoke, and his mom was relieving herself of being the co-signer on the bond and saying, I don't want, he's doing drugs, and I don't want him, I don't want to be responsible. Please come get him. So we drove, and they had shot up together. And she said, here he is, take him. My mom, you know, puts a t-shirt on him, puts him in cuffs. We walk him to the car. He's really calm, collected. He's talking to us. He understands what's happening. Um, The jail's a 10-minute drive from his house, and we're on our way there. He starts getting the nods, the kicks, the... He's muscular. He's moving and punching is, seats. Is, is, is your mother talking through the symptom symptoms that he's she, like? He's basically telling you. We have a very she's, strong she's, protocol when we're transporting anybody. Um, we ask them if they're on anything, if they have anything, because of this situation. Um, so we always stop them to get Gatorade and electrolytes in case their body seizes up. How, how about Narcan? We carry Narcan as well. Um, we feed them. We give them an opportunity to eat a meal because most of them have it in weeks. This is your first night going out and your mother's talking you through dealing with an OD in the yeah. back seat of the car. Yeah, so it was heroin and fentanyl and... It has an adverse reaction on the other. What's going through your mind as you're basically... uh, I'm just like, this guy's kicking the back of my seat. I don't know if he's okay. I don't... He's not communicating anymore when he was perfectly fine five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening. I know something weird is going on, but I'm not sure what. Um, So I told my mom to pull over and we get him out and we try and talk to him. He's just getting worse to the point he collapses on the ground Um, in a grassy area in front of a Denny's is where we pulled over. Um, I tell my mom to call an ambulance. Let's get him to the ER and get him checked out. They come, um, we follow, and we sit in the ER room and we wait because... If he's fine in the next 20 minutes, we're going to go to jail. Yeah. Um, but he ended up getting medically induced, and we had to let the family know. And he got released the next day. He was fine. Not fine, but he was yeah. visibly okay. And he got booked, and we bonded him back out. And uh, he said thank you. <laughs> That's your first day? That's my first day. You are now actively, basically, uh, uh, a recovery agent at this yeah. point. Uh, you're, uh, what's your life like? What's I mean, you're, you, you go from a near-death experience to now figuring this stuff out full-time ter- full with your mom, mm-hmm. uh, turning it into a business uh, on the training side, figuring that out. Dealing with uh, OD overdosing uh, patients, uh, 
in your in your back seat. Um, what are you trying to? What's going through your head as far as like, well, okay, this is a lifestyle. I'm a bounty hunter now. Yeah. Like, what do I? What do I need to change? What I need to? What do I need to work on? What don't I know? What do? What 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 are you go seeking out uh, as far as information and training for yourself? As much as I possibly can. You just um, look around. Yeah, anything medic medic. I would like more training. Medical medical, medical training. Medical training. Um. Yeah, and any training I can get, my mom really inspires me to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She's trying to upgrade you in any way, shape she yeah. can. Now, for people that don't know what this process is like, let's say I'm living out there, and I want to become a, a recovery agent. What do I need to even get started in this? Um, I would strongly encourage you to research your state regulations and laws in what they allow. Every state is different. In Washington State, which I provide the training for, you're going to need your fingerprints done, a clear background, be a U.S. citizen, um, 32 hours of pre-licensing, in handcuffing, baton, pepper spray, taser. Um, and then you take the 50-question exam with the Department of Licensing. Um, you are optional if you want to carry a firearm or not in in the field of Washington. I strongly encourage you to. Yeah, um, a lot of people are armed out there probably. Yeah, most of them. There's some that are not. It's optional, um, but I strongly encourage you. Yeah, so you... you uh Firearms, I imagine there's there's been some situations that are kind of squirrely and dangerous out there. Can you talk about some of these situations that you've been into? Yeah, I've been shot at. Um, you, you talk about yeah. Yeah, being shot at. Uh, can you walk us through this day? Yeah, yeah, I was working in a small town called Belfair, Washington. It's on the coast. Um, I was looking for a very dangerous fugitive who was facing 15 years to life in prison. Um, he was wanted on child rape charges. So not somebody that wants to go back probably. No, absolutely not. Now when you when you hear this or you hear a little about his story, are you ready for somebody who's going to resist and mentally, like listening to his story while you're going to go get him? Are you, this is going to be a hard one? It's going to be difficult, it's going to be dangerous, or are you treating it like everything else? You know, it depends really who you work with. Some agents will disclose the, the case, severity, the severity um, what you should be prepared for. Some people don't because they want you to react in the best way that you can without knowing all of the circumstances. Um, this case, I didn't know. You didn't know? I didn't know. What, 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 was, what, what did you know? Somebody that you needed to get. Yeah. I knew he had missed court. I knew he had a child, and he was in contact with the child's mom, and he didn't want to go back. Okay. So you go after this person. Yes. Um, I hit several houses. So you, you are, who are you with? I was with a team of three um, new agents. So I was the most qualified. Um, I was essentially the lead agent on this case. And we had hit several houses in the day, like family houses. When you say hit several houses, I mean you set up surveillance. You, maybe this this is got, could be years. So you set up surveillance, make contact, search um, the premises. Basically, is what I mean by hit. Yeah. Um, 
and you can hit hard. You can, can not just knock and talk. But and do uh, you need a warrant to go into these people's places to look for them? Taylor versus Tainer is a Supreme Court decision. So. You, I mean, people that don't know anything about these these things, can you can you explain what that is? So you don't necessarily need a physical warrant with you. If asked, you can suggest that you can provide one after your search. Um, however, in order to enter a premise or a property, you need reasonable suspicion that your person is there. And it could be as little as you heard a noise in the house okay. or you seen a physical description. And, and why is that? Why do, why do recovery agents get that, that, uh, that ability? Jurisdiction. That jurisdiction. So when you are bailed out, you signed a, a bond contract. And it basically states that your custody on the outside is only temporary and your co-signer is responsible for your custody. And if you don't meet all of the rules and regulations of your contract, then your custody can be forfeited back to the bondsman. So you basically your your bondsman becomes your your babysitter. Your babysitter, your uh your yeah, your yeah. your uh parental figure in a way. Yes. So he or she can Go and find you. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for this person. You don't have all the cards. You don't know this person is very, very motivated not to go back to prison. Yeah. And you very rarely know if they're armed or not. We don't yeah. get any of that information. Do you do you attempt to figure it out for yourself? Somehow? We try our best. Um, again, growing up in it as a teenager, it was easier to skip trace with social media like snapchat or tiktok as yeah. a kid um so we would pinpoint like photos of firearms and write on the file that they are armed or xyz but um, yeah so you were so you would look at social media accounts of some of these people and like oh this guy's posting a bunch about your firearms or yeah. or hey this guy's training somewhere in this video and so. it's not like a like, we don't seize them when we find them. It's yeah. more just something to be aware of yeah. um, or to really locate when you're in the home. Like, we're, me and my sister are trained by my mom to yell gun when we see one, um, just, to, just to know. Um, but, yeah. So you're, you're, you're going after this person that's very adamant about not going back. Yeah. Do you find them? I make contact with the child's mom. And she sets him up for me. Um, I'm not going to say which location it was because it was on federal ground. Um, but it was a parking lot. Yeah. And she texts my fugitive and suggests they meet at the parking lot so he can see his child before he skips town because that was his plan. Um, now, how do you, like, ethically and morally and all that, you know, we, we, we have to be kind of surgeons and be cold about some of these things. You're basically utilizing people against people in a lot of ways in that case. And not, again, I, I know the it's a job and we have to do this and that person was probably not a good person, but that some people struggle with that. Like right. some of your new agents, like how do they handle that type of aspect to this, the social engineering manipulative aspect of what you do? It really just, it comes with experience. The more arrests that you do as a new agent, you get better every time and you know where you're failing and where you could provide more. 
Um, so yeah, I think it just really comes down to building on your experience. Yeah. So you, you find yourself in a place where you already talk to a few people around this person and you can you have pretty good pretty good idea where he's gonna be and all that. And yeah. you are you readying yourself for this? The snatch? Yeah, I am. I tell the child's mom to stay home. Don't actually come. It's gonna be us. Um I have a vehicle and I have my other agents in a different vehicle and our plan was to kind of when he pulled in to pin the car. Not not like a pit maneuver or anything, but no, just, just zone him in. in. Um, my newer agent got cold feet and didn't do it in time. So my fugitive realized what was happening, sped off and shot rounds into the, into the air and pointed at my car. Yeah. Um, that's when I took cover under the floorboard. <laughs> uh, a gun, a handgun. Yeah. Just randomly shoot. Well, not, not randomly. It's very intentional mm-hmm. getting shots on you. Like, what's your reaction to this? Shoot back? Mentally, what's what's going through your head? Shoot back? In move. this situation, it was more planned than, than that. Um, I had Mason County Police Department um, on standby down the road. Alerted. 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 They were yeah. waiting. Um, they said that they couldn't pursue him, obviously, because of Washington state law. Um, but they would find which direction he was going, at least. Once those gunshots go off. What happens? Um, we, you're, you're you're ducking behind the dash. Yeah, I stop. I hit the floorboards. My other person hits the floorboards. Um, we let him run because it's our safety is too important. Yeah, to you're pursue. not gonna you're, you're not gonna walk out of there and try to chase this guy yeah. and shoot him and shoot uh, and go into a right shoot um, out in the street. So we watch him go down the highway and we watch our police department follow him. Um, lights are on. Um, but after that, never heard about it. Yeah, I don't know if he was ever picked up. You you have this. That's a second a second near death experience, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what does that feel like? The after <laughs> the after effects of that. What does that feel like for you? Failure. Failure. You wanted to to grab him without a shot. Being I wanted fired. I wanted to get him um, and not put that family back at home in danger. And I didn't know where he was going next. Yeah. So it was both failure and that I didn't get him, but also failure that I failed that child and that child's mom. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. That's I mean, a lot of weight. Yeah. A lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. So you started, uh, you start doing this professionally and moving around doing this type of, what's, like if you can go back and talk to yourself, like what what would be the, the, the things that you would ask yourself to to learn about or what's the advice you would give yourself at the beginning of this? Um, I would say stay humble. Stay, stay humble. more humble. Yeah. Were, were you trying to, you know, rule the world yeah. when you it, got in there? It's easy to get in that mindset, especially when you're young in this industry. You get the feeling of you're invincible after a couple high-profile arrests and that you're capable of more. And I would say just stay humble. You're you're not better than the next agent across the road. You're not yeah. better than the police department waiting on standby for you. And this is, a, this is I mean, you're going after people that are desperate. Mm-hmm. Uh, drugs are in the environment. Uh Firearms are also in the environment. Uh, domestic issues are intermingled with all of this. Mm-hmm. What preparation are you getting to try and, you know, 
talk to a drug addict's mother yeah. uh, to go into a situation where somebody might be armed. Like, is this, are these all things are you learning directly from your mother or are these things that you're actually going to have to learn through experience? Uh, both, I would say. Uh, my mom has always been very good at expressing to my sister and myself in the field that like people aren't inherently evil. People don't inherently intend to do evil things. They learn that way. Um, if you're going with, you know, a hostage situation or a DV situation or a firearm situation, talk to them. They're people like if you're sensible, if you're personal enough with them, things are going to calm down. Don't escalate it. Yeah. Escal so avoiding escalation. Yeah. I would say just growing up street smart too as like a wild teenager really helps. Um, you know, I've dealt with several different events that have been really traumatic and not wanting to talk to people. But I would say, you know, talking to them in a way that you understand where they're coming from and, and why they're doing this and, you know, hey man, you're just on the you're on a bad path. It's gonna be okay. Let's get yeah. you let's get you in and back out. And doing this for as much as you've done and also having this be a part of your life, uh, are there any friendships or like weird, you know, relationships uh, originating between some of these clients where you pick them up several times and you're like worried oh, about yeah. them? Oh yeah. Um my part my partner actually, we've picked up one girl three different times in the same city. And she keeps making her way back. <laughs> and we transport her from Washington to nowhere, Montana. And she keeps making her way back. You used to know, you know her family members, you know, to ask about her cat and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know her family's, her street family's name, her, her street name, her cat, where she grew up, how many kids she has, how old they are. Um, yeah, I've I've gotten pretty close with them. The last time I picked her up, um, she didn't know who I was. And I was like, you didn't recognize me? I picked you up last time. What's the drug that she's... Uh... Fentanyl. And is that what you've seen mostly out there? Like in this... It's like what's, what's fueling most of these people's uh, inability to function that um, you have to go after? It's different because I've seen the change. Um, 2016, 2017, it was Xanax and perks and bars. It was, uh, it was prescription opiates. Mm -hmm. 20, yeah. 20 what? 2016, 2017. Yeah, yeah, that matches up. Yeah. 2016, 2017, prescription drug epidemic across the country. Yeah. And pain pills, uh, uppers, downers, all that. Very fast change to fentanyl, though. It, it uh... I don't know. I saw the legalization of marijuana in California lead to drug fields in Mexico now shifting to poppy instead of weed mm -hmm. and then laced Mexican weak heroin with mm -hmm. fentanyl is what I saw next yeah. around 2017-ish. Yeah. Um, Tri-Cities um, in Washington is a very known hub for the cartels. So that's where I know a lot of um, the meth and the fentanyl combined. Is. And, and when you saw this, you say you saw that change. What changed as far as the 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 the, uh, the user that you were experiencing or the seeing? You know, 
when I started 2016, 17 with the Xanax, um, I seen it was a lot of a younger crowd. Fentanyl, I've noticed, is younger to mid-age. Um, but I, it's very, it's a hard change that I've noticed in those years. Um, just especially like the amounts of fentanyl that I've noticed growing more from 2017 to now that I've gotten off people used to just be a couple pills and gotten off people. Like, uh, can you describe what you're seeing? Like, are you seeing like when people hear fentanyl, they don't know what that is like visually Mm -hmm. you are grabbing people and going through their shit. Mm-hmm. What what does it look like in your hand when you find some of these things? Um, I've seen it crushed up into powder in small Ziploc baggies. Um, more recently, I've seen the actual pills, um, small little MC40s. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Um, thousands of them in, in huge these, gallon these bags. Are, these are fentanyl. Fentanyl pills. Fentanyl pills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen the rainbow pills. Um, now I'm starting to see the little cir- or the heart-shaped pink pills. Yeah. 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 And, and, and uh, what do these do to people, That the symptomology? Like how do you know when somebody's on it, like in your experience? I can smell it first. What's that smell? That's, that's interesting. <laughs> what does it smell like? Um, burnt peanuts or like burning tire like burning rubber yeah. is what i kind of smell is that what the, the the fentanyl user that's the their accompanying smell yeah burning peanuts or burning rubber burning rubber huh yeah huh. now while you're going through this experience of seeing people going from the prescription medication uh, stuff to now fentanyl laced pills heroin powders all these What's the conversation going on around you with this law enforcement and uh, and just your coworkers? Like, is are you worried about fentanyl exposure? Are you prepping yourself for it? Is, it? is there like a conversation about that at all during this time? Yeah, especially when I'm with a new partner or a new agent. Um, for me, thankfully and unthankfully, I've been around it so much that I'm not necessarily immune to it, but I've built a tolerance. You're confident to it. enough that you know enough about it that you're not gonna see it on a table and just like yeah. exposure. But it yeah, it's also like smelling it, you know. I was working with an agent who actually passed out from smelling it, who opened a door and fainted. Um I I'm built up a tolerance where that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Um so I let them know. I've, I've noticed on my end, because I saw a lot of it as well, yeah. um, The there's a psychological thing too. Mm-hmm. Like if you know it's there. Yeah. Like a lot of these cops that we would see in these videos that get exposed to fentanyl didn't look like they were exposed to fentanyl. They were yeah. like, ah, 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 that's not what fentanyl exposure looks like. No. I mean, if you're exposed to fentanyl, you're... Yeah. You're your eyes are white and you're gone. So are you seeing some of that? Some people, some of the new guys coming up with this preconceived notion of what this is and then maybe freaking out oh, when, yeah. they, when it's in the environment? A or? lot of them still have the connotation that you could ingest it by touching it. Yeah. If, if you touch it, 
you're going to get exposed to it and you're going to... Yeah, like, that's not what happens. <laughs> no, you haven't seen that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're, you're, you're making your way through this. That's, it's, 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 it's wild to think about this uh, activity in, on my end because it's such a, it's a foreign concept to try and go after people as a, as a lifestyle. So you're you're you learn the skill set and tradecraft from your mother. Mm-hmm. You're 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 educating yourself now and kind of going through the experience of being there. What is the so the elephant in the room is you're females, and this is a job that is usually in most people's minds it's a dude's job, man, yeah. man's man job, right? Male industry. So what does that what does that feel like, or what is that experience like being? Somebody learned their tradecraft through a female, your mother, badass mother probably, <laughs> what she sounds like, and now you're doing it as well. And, you know, what is, are there other men in the industry or some of the men coming in and like, wait, what are you doing? And oh, yeah. What are you doing heading up? What, what can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's difficult being a woman in this, in this industry. Um, there have been actual bondsmen who won't let me work for them because they don't think I can do what Joe is doing down the street. Um, so it's difficult in the sense of trying to prove yourself and knowing that you can do it to someone who doesn't know you that well. Yeah. Um, what are some of the uh, blatant, like when they don't want to allow you to take one? Like what, what is what, what some of these conversations Yeah, like. a few months ago I had an individual in Montana who was being looked for by the ATF and they gave me the $6,000 case and said, you're hired, go do it. And so I was like, okay. And I started working it and, um, you know, I found where the guy was. The guy was talking to me. He was texting me. And I let the bondsman know. I was like, hey, your dude's in Colorado. If you want me to go get him, let me know. But you're paying for my expenses for me to go down there. And he wouldn't do it. No problem. It's your money. It's your liability. But I'm offering you help. Um, He called me and told me I was off of the case and that he hired another agency who was all men and no offense, but this is a very dangerous guy with guns and you're just a small little girl who can't do it. Yeah. And I told him, that sucks. I already let your surety know I know where he's at. So if you hire anyone else, I'm getting the case. So good luck with your insurance license. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely get people, especially bondsmen and other agents who are male, who don't view me in the same way as their buddy or... Yeah another agent how about the other side how about some of the people you go after what's their reaction to you um i've had a couple where they've instigated fighting because they think they can take me and they've always been like if you weren't girls i'd punch you and this that and the other and it's like dude you know you violated your bond it's not on me i'm i'm just here to pick you up um you know, luckily I do have the training that I do, um, so I I can take them if they persist. Um, I don't like going that way. I like to talk it out. I'm a negotiator of the group. Um, but yeah. But if it do go that way, yeah. You know what? What? what are, like questions that audience members might have, like, 
and what happens? Like, what, do you, what, what, uh, what are you carrying? What are the countermeasures you have? Are you carrying around? You say you, you mentioned ASP, baton training, yeah. uh, tasers, mm-hmm. firearms. Yeah. Um, I, if I'm running with a group, I have a designated less lethal person while also running a lethal weapon. Um, me specifically, I carry both a taser and a lethal weapon. I use my taser first. That's my first choice. If it does go any other, usually peop, my people are pretty calm once the taser comes out. Um, so I've, I've never pulled my firearm on anybody. Um, it's always just been my taser. What are you aiming at with your taser? Um, the mass center of the chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my yeah. individual. I've, 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 I've had some of that training and ouch. Yeah. You know. Sometimes dogs. I don't like to tase dogs, but. Sometimes they come out. Sometimes pe- I've had people let their dogs come at me, just leash them at me. Yeah. So you light them up literally is mm-hmm. one of the, the methods of uh, subdu- subduing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, what about combatives wise? Uh, are you training yourself to punch somebody in the face, elbow them in the face, kick them? Yeah. Um, me and my <laughs> boyfriend, actually, we practice MMA. Yeah. In a WWE. <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing professional. It's just basically know, it's a, at home it's something, training. It's something you, you, you try and have, you be ready for if something happens. Yeah. This, uh, this aspect of danger out there, you mentioned a boyfriend. What's mm-hmm. that like? Having, a, having, somebody, having somebody in your life says, hey, boyfriend, I'm going to go and chase these grown men out there <laughs> who are uh, criminals and I'm going to have to pull, pull, uh, bring them back with me. What's that like? Um, I'm actually in a very interesting situation where my boyfriend is actually a bondsman. So, okay. so he understands um, his, his dad was my original bondsman who I worked for. And I coursed him into taking my class. And now his son's a bounty hunter okay. and a bondsman. So he understands. He goes with me. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't enjoy it as much as I do. It's more like I'm pulling his leg to come out with me. But he, he gets it. He yeah. Gets it. It's a weird relationship to have. <laughs> um, you, you're, trying to, uh, you're trying to basically figure out your way in this whole bounty hunting thing um, specifically. You, you run, you run, it's a risky job every day. I mean, if you go out there with somebody, there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things you're prepping yourself with? Like, where's faith in this? Where's, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's definitely a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, faith came through my mother, you know, trying to figure out, you know, greater good or greater aspect of the job that I was doing, which is pretty gnarly. How, how about you? I would agree it was my mom. Um, my mom went to work every day not knowing if she was going to come back, and she prepared us for that from when she very first started. So it was always the inevitable. She told us she was going to get shot one day. That was going to happen. And that it was going to be okay, no matter what. Um, so I think I have a lot of the same mindset when it comes to that. Um, for faith, I would say I really rely on Santa Morte. Um, it's a lot of like, it's going to happen. It's okay. It's 
something will be after it'll be a rebirth or whatever um but it's going to be okay but death is always there yeah but it's it, it's inevitable yeah. it, it's always going to be there no it's like a memento mori for people or yeah, the inevitable the inevitability of dying uh you you have death as a never-present thing there mm-hmm. and in the same way life mm-hmm. you you go into this line of work where it's not females not usually what you see, but that's who you learn it from. You're taking risks, you're getting shot at, you're trying to figure your way out yeah. through every day. Uh, people are challenging you uh, on both sides, on your side professionally, on the other side of the enemy professionally, perceived enemy of these people you're going after. Uh, where does fear fall into all of this? Like, are you fearless? Is that something you've already killed? Or are you, like, where does fear, fear, fear fall into all this? Um, I think it's on the back burner, um, to touch back on it's inevitable. Um, I know I will be shot at. I know one day it might hit me. Um, but until it does, I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can. And when it does, I hope that I just have a lasting impact on people that I've trained or my family or my friends So fear comes on the back burner. And what I mean by that is I'm more afraid of how my family might react to to a death or to something happening to me than I am of the actual incident. 